This is a GRDC podcast. Crown rot is estimated to cause damage amounting to $79 million annually to Australian cereal crops. Losses on a per tiller basis can be as much as 100% and for individual varieties, 30 to 40% on a paddock basis. But there are management decisions that can be taken that can alleviate some of those losses as we'll hear in just a moment in a chat I had recently with Andrew Milgate from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries in Wagga Wagga. Andrew makes the strong point that a one-year break crop is often not enough to substantially lessen crown rot inoculum loads in a paddock and that growers should be prepared to factor in a two-year break away from cereals. But first things first, and the very first thing you need to know, Andrew says, is just what those inoculum levels are. I see that that knowledge of where you are in terms of your inoculum levels is the critical piece of information that growers and agronomists really need to make informed decisions about whether they need to take action or whether their system is currently giving them a result where they don't need to take drastic management practice changes to control this disease. We know from our our surveys over the last couple of years where people do have good, robust, diverse rotations, those systems are acting in a way to control crown rot very well. However, the large majority of paddocks that we have been surveying, they do have the disease present and there is a very clear trend of paddocks where they have frequent cereals, barley or wheat in them, there's always an increased risk of crown rot in those paddocks. We'll look at the prevalence in a moment. Firstly, what you're talking about is uh, having a predictor B test done. Are you seeing an increasing uptake of those tests? I believe over the last couple of years, we're gaining more confidence in the tests to produce information that we can as advisors, actually go to growers and give them robust advice around, as well as growers then being informed about how their rotations are impacting on their on their soil and root health. And I think that while we're nowhere near the level of uptake that I think it should be, it is increasing. The, the awareness of the tests is increasing. Okay, well, let's talk about the prevalence. And you you talked about the surveys that have been undertaken. How significant were... I'm looking here at my laptop, which has got your presentation, your update presentation here. How significant has the disease been in the number of the the paddocks that you've surveyed? Well, first of all, uh, our paddock survey for crown rot has been focusing specifically in southern New South Wales, where traditionally many growers would feel that they haven't had a high level of risk to, to crown rot in previous decades. But what we've seen over the last decade is a significant increase in the prevalence and the, the severity of the disease in southern New South Wales. And our survey is showing that we are consistently finding the disease in up to 90% of the paddocks that we survey and that that level is bouncing around between 70 to 90% of the paddocks. So the disease is often found in all paddocks, but whether it's reached a level that can cause crop injury is the critical thing. And that's where the predictor B gives us that extra piece of information 
that we can associate with the risk of how much disease is actually there in the stubble. So in terms of the proportion of paddocks that we see that do have a high level of risk, it's off the top of my head, I would say it's at least you know 15 to 20% of the paddocks that we survey would have that high level of risk. And that's reflective of the amount of cereal-on-cereal paddocks that are out there in the system. Our surveys, are we've tried to be non-biased, but in southern New South Wales there's a lot of cereal-on-cereals out there. But at the same time, canola is also used as a break crop. Doesn't that relieve the problem a little, a little bit? Yes, it can, but I guess this gets to some of the other information that we are able to pull out of the survey is that we've been continually going back to the same paddocks through their rotation cycle and what we've seen is that a single break of canola in the system is just not enough to reduce the level of inoculum significantly and that's consistent with our our other research that we've been doing as well. So while it's great that canola is in there for a break and it does reduce it a little bit but it's not going to reduce the, the risk from a high level to a low level in a single year. How significant does one break crop of uh, canola reduce the inoculum levels and the danger from them? Okay, that's a, uh, that's a, it's a reasonably loaded question because there's a lot of factors that come into how effective any of the break crops are at reducing crown knot inoculum. And it's usually a factor of the season. The first thing is that they are canola, lupins, peas. They are non-hosts to the crown rot pathogen. So, so that's the first element, that they reduce the opportunity for the pathogen to infect that current crop. But what drives the reduction in inoculum in the soil is the actual breakdown of the organic matter that's tied up in the stubble from the previous cereal crop. And so in a poor year, a poor season, if you don't get breakdown of those cereal stubbles, then the crown rot inoculum survives to the following season at a higher level than it would otherwise. Whereas if we have a a good season like, say, 2016, and you have a big canopy in a canola crop or a pea crop or a lupin crop, that really assists the breakdown of, of that cereal stubble. And that's what drives the reduction in inoculum because the crown rot pathogen is not a very good survivor in the soil itself, it needs that cereal stubble to latch onto and host it over the period of time when there's not an available host crop to grow on. So just explain to me then why two break crops in a row help where one doesn't do a sufficient job. Again, I think that this really comes down to that physical nature of how long it takes the cereal stubble to break down. Certainly the research trials that we've been running have clearly demonstrated that two is better than one in terms of a break crop and that that really relates to that stubble being given an opportunity to break down over two summers and two cropping seasons. If you were unfortunate enough to have two consecutive really dry years, the risk may not drop away completely, but it's still going to be a lot less than what it was if you just went with a single break. And is there any combination of crops that are better than others? I mean, certainly canola, peas and lupins are known to be the most effective at reducing inoculum levels. Lupins and peas in our 
research trials have, have probably stood out to be a little bit better than the canola at this stage. But we're just now this year finishing a five-year trial at Wagga where we've actually examined that question and, and we'll be analysing those results over the summer to look at that question. But if we look to the experiences in northern New South Wales and, and in Victoria to the south of us, the research that's been conducted there would suggest that the rankings that I've just explained in that the, the lupins and peas being particularly good at breaking down the inoculum levels, then followed by canola, is stacking up as well here in southern New South Wales. Okay, well, let's just really drill down on your key messages in in terms of crown rot in southern New South Wales. What would you be saying first? Test, test, test? Yes, I think if we look at a like a hierarchy of decisions that can be made around how do you manage crown rot in your farming system, then the first step has got to be knowing what your levels of inoculum are. What is your risk? And that can be obtained through Predictor B or through directly going out and monitoring the stubble, either by the agronomists or the growers themselves. But at some point, you need to understand what your level of risk is in order to make a decision about what is appropriate course of action. Then, you know, depending on how flexible your rotation system is, you can then make decisions about whether you are going to swap high-risk paddocks out of a, a planned cereal into a non-host crop like canola, peas or lupins, and whether you need to plan to do that for one or two seasons. And then what we would recommend that if you're unable to make that decision about swapping out to a non-host in a high-risk situation, then choose a wheat variety or a barley variety that gives you the best opportunity to minimise the amount of yield loss that could be experienced in a tight spring situation. Now those barley is generally thought to be more tolerant in the presence of crown rot than wheat and will suffer on average lower levels of yield loss but there are still differences between the varieties and that's a function generally because barley will mature and ripen at an earlier stage than wheat will so they avoid some of that moisture stress that the slightly longer season wheats will experience in a tight spring if you can't swap out to a barley in a, in a risky situation and you're faced with then choosing a wheat to go in into that paddock, then choosing the variety that you have access to that is your highest yielding one and not a long season one is the best choice to make given the current status of the research that we've been conducting. Now, there are varieties out there that have been demonstrated to have differences in resistance and differences in tolerance to crown rot. And they, they are two very different things. But what our research has also shown is that on any grower's farm situation, that choosing the highest yielding variety they can is the best course of action. If people look up in the winter cereal sowing guide, they will see that there are ratings for resistance and tolerance for wheat varieties. And you may find, rather than choosing a lower yielding, more tolerant variety, our experience with doing yield loss trials is that the higher yielding a variety is in any environment, that is the better one to choose at this stage. Now, if that just happens to be a more tolerant variety, then that's a great outcome. But that's the current status of, of where we think we are, is go for the higher yielding ones. 
That was Andrew Milgate with that advice from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Andrew is based in Wagga Wagga in southern New South Wales. Thank you.